I'm uh, station manager Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Jane, you ignorant slut. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. 3-605.10.20.22.24.26.50.70.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.
Saturday night, and then Gilda Radner looks at the TV live from New York. It's Saturday night, and we go through the credits. It's Saturday night. Don Pardo, the great Don Pardo. This is the weird spot in time where Chevy Chase has left from the first season and Bill Murray has not joined the cast for the second season. So we have three men, Ackroyd, Belushi, and Garrett Morris, and three women, Lorraine Newman, Jane Curtin, and Gilda Radner. In these sketches, you see these main characters playing tiny bit roles because they didn't have the huge cast that they have nowadays. And now the cast is even smaller because... Chevy Chase is not there, and Bill Murray is not there yet. Which has to, once again, I think have to bug Garrett Morris and Lorraine Newman. They're running on a short staff, but they're still not getting any meaty roles in any of these sketches. We open up the monologue, and ladies and gentlemen, Candace Bergen, and stage is empty. Stage is nobody on the stage. We see a stagehand come up. He's got the microphone, and he calls Jane Curtin over. He sends Jane Curtin to find Candace Bergen. And we go to Candace Bergen's dressing room, and Jane knocks on the door. And we hear Candace saying, I can't come out. He's done it to me again. I can't do it without him. And they're speaking of John Belushi. They're playing the sketch as if, Candace Bergen is in love with John Belushi, and John Belushi has thrown her aside, and now she can't go on because John has thrown her aside. And we have Jane Curtin talking to Candace Bergen through the door. Jane Curtin starts ripping on John Belushi. This is sort of a meta thing. We're going to hear this a couple of times during this episode. Jane Curtin really had a problem with John Belushi, Because John was, and I've mentioned this before, outspoken that women weren't funny. And he didn't, he did not keep that to himself. He, he spoke that whenever he could. And that bothered Jane Curtin. It bothered her more than it did Lorraine Newman and Gilda Radner. You don't see a lot of sketches with Jane Curtin and and John Belushi together. And I think that's the reason. And Jane Curtin is just bad-mouthing John Belushi, and I think that's coming from a real place. That's coming from a real place in her heart. You know, she is angry with John Belushi because of these derogatory thoughts that he has about women and women in comedy. Then we see uh, we see a cameo by Lauren Michael. Lauren Michaels? Lauren Michael. I don't know. One, Lauren Michael, Lauren Michaels. I, I really should know that. And he comes up to the door, and he's like, what's wrong? And Jane says it's Belushi, and and Lauren just makes the comment, how does he have this effect on women? So they're playing it up like Belushi just has this, he has this effect on women where all women just bow to him, and he treats them like garbage. They make a joke about Barbara Walters. That's why she left the network, because of Belushi. Then we see Belushi show up, and he's dressed as Humphrey Bogart. He's got the trench coat on. He's got the fedora on. He's smoking a cigarette. And he kisses Jane Curtin on the cheek. And there's a look of disgust on Jane Curtin's face. Once again, you know I, that was part of the sketch. However, I do feel a lot of that was real. A lot of that was coming from her. And John knocks on the door and Candace Bergen opens the door and they have this. They go back and forth and they're replaying the scene from Casablanca where you know 
Humphrey Bogart tells uh, uh, Ingrid Bergman that she has to get on the plane or she'll regret it. Well, now Belushi is telling Candace Bergen, you got to get out and host that show or, or you're going to regret it. And they start walking through the hallway and they walk into the set and there's Fog playing. And then there's Garrett Morris and he's Sam playing the piano. And John Belushi just looks at him and says, Sam, you can close up for the night. All right, Mr. Rick. And that's it. He put, and that's it. Garrett Morris has barely anything to do in this show. And when he's in a sketch, he has barely anything to do in a sketch. It just, I just feel bad for him in these sketches. But then once again, I think of Two Broke Girls, and I don't feel that bad for him. If it's going to come across that I hate Two Broke Girls, you are absolutely right. Well, the sketch ends. You know, they look at the camera. We'll be right back. This sketch proves that when Belushi was on, he was on. He did a killer Humphrey Bogart. He nailed it. When Belushi wanted to, when Belushi was straight, God, there was no one better than him. Nobody better than him. Then there's also, I wanted to mention in this sketch, before before the sketch ends, Belushi looks at Candace Bergen and says, we'll always have Paris and the Muppets. Because Candace Bergen guest hosted in the first season and on the first season there were Muppets on the show and pretty much everybody the staff you know the staff and the actors hated having the Muppets on the show Michael O'Donnell had that famous quote is I have to write material for felt so the Muppets were dropped in the second season and I think everybody was happy with that but that's just a another inside joke about how Saturday Night Live kind of aired its dirty laundry on the air, kind of. Like I said, with Jane Curtin make all of these disparaging remarks about Belushi, they hated the Muppets, so now there's a joke about the Muppets. So all this was coming out in the second season. We cut to Dan Aykroyd again, and Dan Aykroyd is Jimmy Carter. And this is the point in Dan Aykroyd's life, this is the Cesar Romero point of Dan Aykroyd's life. As you remember... Cesar Romero played the Joker in Batman, and he refused to shave his mustache, so they had to put the makeup on over his mustache, which you could see. Well, Dan Aykroyd grew a mustache, and he refused to shave it, so whenever he would do an impression, he would like do an impression of Nixon or Carter, who did not have mustaches, but he just let that mustache lie. The funny thing is, in this sketch, they, they dye his hair gray, which was uh, Jimmy Carter, but they also had, they dyed his mustache gray, which I think was hilarious. So they had to dye this mustache, which Jimmy Carter doesn't have, but Dan Aykroyd has, and they dyed it the same color as his hair. I guess they had to do that because I guess a black mustache would have looked ridiculous. This uh, short sketch, Dan Aykroyd doing his thing, doing Jimmy Carter, nailing it, is talking about how he can't keep his promises to the American public. How he said, I basically lied to you to get elected, and now I can't do anything about it. And to me, that is a typical Democrat. This, this is what se- se- separates Democrats from Republicans. Both Democrats and Republicans lie. But when Democrats lie, and they get caught in a lie, they're like, yep, I was lying to you. And now, we have, this is not political, but now we have Trump who never, ever, ever admits that he's lying, even though that we know he's lying and we can prove he's lying. This, to me, is the, the mirror image of both 
Democrats, yes, we lied. Republicans, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. We never lied. This was just Jimmy Carter saying, I lied to you people, but we, when, I, but when I get reelected by 1984, all of my lies will now be truth. And, of course, we know that he wasn't reelected. That was Reagan. Um, Reagan got elected in 80. Then we go to a classic Saturday Night Live commercial. We see John Belushi as a mall Santa. And Lorraine Newman and Dan Aykroyd are standing in line. And they're talking to each other. And Dan Aykroyd's like, you sure you want to do this? And Lorraine Newman's like, yeah, I've always wanted to do this since I was a kid. I want to sit on Santa's lap. And it's Lorraine Newman's time. To, and when she goes up there, she starts putting toilet paper on John Belushi's lap. And Dan Aykroyd's like, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm going to sit down here, but I need protection. And Dan Aykroyd goes, haven't you heard of Santy Rap? And he pulls this toilet seat cover, but it's red and green. Santy Rap, you know, you don't know where these mall Santas have been. Make sure that you put these Santy Rap. It's a very, very uh, nice, cute... Dis- this is one of the commercials that ages well. This is one of the sketches that ages well because it's about Christmas. It's about mall Santas. We still have mall Santas. We still have the joke that mall Santas are probably homeless people, you know, just there for the holiday season. You don't know where they've been. You need protection when you sit on their lap. Santy rap. Concise, funny. John Belushi is the Santa. And this is one of those roles where he just says, ho, ho, ho. He has no lines. But he just says, ho, 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 and he's, he's drinking this whiskey. I know Belushi wanted to be the star of Saturday Night Live, and I just don't know how he was obviously a team player because he did these roles. But I don't know how he felt. It's like, this was just him saying, ho, 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 while Dan Aykroyd had all the, you know, had all the jokes and had all the, the monologue. He did as salesperson. But it just proves like they were running shorthanded, so everybody had to pitch in for sketches. And this was just John Belushi in a Santa outfit going, ho, ho, ho. But it's very funny, and it's a, it's a classic Saturday Night Live commercial parody. Then we go to Frank Zappa, one of uh, three performances by Frank Zappa. And his first performance is I'm the Slime. And this musical perform I would say this is more performance art than a musical performance, because there's a lot of weird camera angles. There's a lot of there's a lot of effects uh, that were they look bad now, but for the time they were cutting edge. And in this, I'm the slime. He gets Don Pardo to become the slime, and Don Pardo starts starts doing his part, starts reading the lyrics for the song in this, and then during the song. They cut to a television and slime just starts coming out of the television. So say what you want about Frank Zappa. He was he was a performer. He just didn't get up there and sing his songs. He got up there and he gave you a performance. He gave you Don Pardo. Uh, it was very, very interactive, the slime. I don't think we'd get something like that today. I think today you know, the music today is you just, you just get up there and you lip sync and you sing what you want but it was it was very very nice to see a performance art piece on Saturday Night Live in the musical spot it was it was out there for the time and I and I uh the last time I saw Frank Zappa he was on the monkeys so it was good to see Frank Zappa and it was 
I like the song and it was unique. And just to, you know, see Don Pardo and Frank Zappa go back and forth, that was a fun little thing to see. Then we go to Consumer Probe. And this is Candace Bergen and Dan Aykroyd. And this is another famous and this is another timeless Christmas sketch. Dan Aykroyd plays Ernest Manway. He's done this character several times. He's the sleazy guy who's trying to promote unsafe toys to the public. Uh, and uh, Candace Bergen and her consumer probe is just trying to get him to admit that he's a slimeball, and he doesn't do it. And they talk about these, these toy bag of glass. That's one of the toys that... Dan Aykroyd is trying to sell these kids. And he's like, there's glass everywhere. What we're doing is we're just picking, we're making, you know, you don't want your kid picking up strange glass. Glass in a bag. It's glass. We know where this glass has come. The way Dan Aykroyd plays it, the way he he captures the slime ball executive perfectly, where he just won't, accept the fact that what he is doing is wrong. And that's just and, and that's just how you have to envision these people with some of the stuff. There's a, a there's a uh, a doll. It's called uh, what Johnny Switchblade and you you press a button and two switchblades shoot out. And uh when you look at the doll, it's obviously a Fonzie doll. And this is right around the time when Happy Days was great. So this was a modified Fonzie doll that they had on the sketch. Now, there's one, there's one in there about a teddy bear with a chainsaw. I think that went a little too far. That's a little... I think, like, if you keep it small, bag of glass, Johnny Switchblade. You don't want to go... You don't want to go big with teddy bear chainsaw. I know it's a ridiculous sketch, but if it was just something smaller, just something smaller that kids could get their hands on that were dangerous, I, I, I think I think it would have been funny. But this is a, once again, this is a classic Christmas sketch. This is something that you can play every year. It's timeless. We're always going to have sleaze balls, and we're always going to have people trying to expose sleaze balls. Merry Christmas. Then we go to a filmed commercial where it's uh, right put stamp gun. And it's a, it's a stamp gun. The, the thing is, you buy the stamp gun, and then you put the price tag over the price. You know, get a full turkey for four cents. This reminded... Okay, we're going to go off on one of these. We haven't done one yet. We're going to go off on one of these. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. There is a scene in My Blue Heaven, the movie starring Steve Martin and Rick Moranis, where he picks up a pricing gun and he starts pricing down everything in the store. Everything that he buys is like 25 cents. And this is exactly what they do in this commercial. Steve Martin was highly connected with Saturday Night Live. I don't know if this commercial, I don't know whoever got this idea for that scene in that movie, My Blue Heaven. I don't know if they got their inspiration from this commercial. But the, this commercial and that scene in My Blue Heaven are almost exactly the same. And we are back. We go to a classic 
sketch with Candace Bergen. And this is a classic crack-up sketch. Whenever you see compilations of people uh, breaking down and laughing, this is always on there. And it's a sketch about people having the right to be stupid. Gilda Radner comes in and she plays a stupid person and uh, Candace Bergen's name is Fran. However, during the sketch, Candace Bergen calls Gilda Radner Fran and then they crack up and then Gilda Radner just sort of rides Candace Bergen about screwing up, which is kind of ironic because the sketch is about stupid people and Candace Bergen screwed up and called somebody else the wrong name during a sketch about stupid people. Gilda Radner is the consummate professional. And in this sketch, Candace Bergen basically loses it. She's just basically giggling through the whole sketch, laughing through the whole sketch. And Gilda Radner is such a pro that she's still able to deliver the lines and jab Candace Bergen at the same time. It's a back and forth. She doesn't abandon the sketch to make Candace Bergen laugh. She she stays with the sketch and makes Candace Bergen laugh. It wasn't these where the sketch went off the rails. Gilda Radner kept that sketch kept going, kept it on, kept it on point. And even though Candace Bergen was cracking up, they were able to get to the end of that sketch. It's a classic crack up sketch. You find that on YouTube everywhere. This, this Google Candace Bergen, Gilda Radner laughing and that sketch will come up. And now let's take a break with a word from one of our sponsors. (coughs) Mommy, I don't feel good. Oh, let me get some cough syrup. Hold on there, Mom. Before you give Junior that medicine, look at the label. Why, this cough syrup says it only has 45% Kentucky bourbon. That's right. Now read the label of Dr. Carmichael's Alabama Redwood Country Elixir. Wow! Dr. Carmichael's Alabama Redwood Country Elixir has 80% Kentucky bourbon. Wow, that's more. That's right, Mom. It's almost double the amount of bourbon than your medicine. So if you want your kids to get well twice as quick, use Dr. Carmichael's Alabama Redwood Country Elixir. They'll thank you. And it tastes great, too. (laughs) Dr. Carmichael's Alabama Redwood Country Elixir, now available in 40-ounce bottles. Dr. Carmichael, whose number one priority is family. And now back to the Dan Aykroyd podcast. Then we come to Weekend Update with Jane Curtin. And it starts off with Jane Curtin obviously talking uh, to her husband, talking about how she's never home. She has to bring in the money. This was a not a very funny, not a very good Weekend Update. A lot of the jokes, in fact, most of the jokes fell flat. It is also a victim of... It's the weekend update, so they're talking about the news, what's happening at the time. So a lot of this stuff was about Jimmy Carter and and stuff that was happening around then and doesn't age well, doesn't... Especially it's minor. It wasn't even big stuff. It was minor stuff at the time. So the fact that it was stuff that's not relevant now and the fact that even though... And they wasn't getting laughs, this was one of the, actually the weekend update this part was one of the weakest parts of the episode, in my opinion. The jokes were lame, and being irrelevant now, watching them 45 years later, it's really irrelevant. We cut to Dan Aykroyd. She she uh, cuts over to Dan Aykroyd for the fallout report. 
Dan Aykroyd is talking about all these nuclear tests that's happening all over the world, and how they're affecting you, the United States. How nuclear fallout from China and how nuclear fallout from India, they're testing these nuclear weapons. And once again, this is sort of kind of relevant because we have North Korea testing their nuclear weapons. It's amazing how sometimes history does repeat itself. You know, this the fear of nuclear fallout. And we're going to go on one of these again. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. That's right. It's a tangent alert. In this segment, Dan Aykroyd plays Ray Dana, and he's talking about nuclear fallout and how it affects you. Now, in the movie It Came From Hollywood, I've already done a podcast on that. Please check that out. Dan Aykroyd plays the exact same character in one of the sketches talking about nuclear radiation and nuclear fallout. And it's the same cadence, and he uses the same jargon, and he uses the same words in this. I am 100% convinced that that character that Dan Aykroyd did in this sketch is the same character that Dan Aykroyd did in It Came From Hollywood. So check it out yourself. We're back. We go to a uh, commercial in the uh, weekend update, and this is a live commercial with Candace Bergen and John Belushi. And it's a instant camera, but instead of a picture shooting out, it shoots out cheese because Candace Bergen is looking at John Belushi. And this is another sketch where John Belushi has nothing to do. Candace Bergen is pointing the camera at John Belushi. And John Belushi just says, cheese! And cheese comes out of the camera. And that's the joke. It's a, it's a one-joke parody. Yeah, You can get instant cheese from this instant camera just by saying cheese. Candace Bergen delivers her lines. It might have, To me, it might have been better if they switched it and had John Belushi selling the camera. And Candace Bergen cheese, because Candace Bergen delivers her lines kind of stiffly, and like yeah, John Belushi, the comic, the comic genius John Belushi is just reduced to the sitting there going cheese, cheese, as in the first catch. He was just sit there, you know, ho 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 ho. I don't know what was going through his mind at this time because his his drive was to be a to be a star, and now he's just, he's got these minor roles in these sketches where he's not even saying sentences. He's just saying words, two or three words. Well, that's the sketch. That's the commercial, instant cheese. We go back to Saturday Night Live. We, I'm sorry. We go back to Weekend Update, and it's the great Gilda Radner playing uh, Emily Natella, and she's going on about, uh, she's, trying to give a, a commentary about UNICEF, but it's about unisex. That's how she gets confused. She's talking about unisex when she should be talking about UNICEF. Jane Curtin stops her. Emily, it's about UNICEF, not unisex. Never mind. And you think the sketch is over there, but she doesn't leave. Emily turns to Jane and goes... I used to be on the show a lot more, but now that you're the anchor, I don't come on as much. Is there a problem? And Jane goes, you can come on here as much as you want, as long as you come up with better jokes than unisex. And then Emily just looks at her and calls her a bitch. And that's it in that scene. I think that might have been the first time that Emily Nutella uh, called Jane Curtin a bitch on Weekend Update. 
bam. We go to a next Frank Zappa song. And this is called The Purple Lagoon. And there's no lyrics in this song. It's just Frank. It's actually Frank Zappa. He's conducting. He's conducting the band. He's conducting his band. And also the Saturday Night Live band. So he's conducting all of them in this song. It's not like a performance piece like it was in the first one. It's just everybody playing. However, in the middle of the song, John Belushi shows up as the samurai playing the uh, saxophone, which is kind of weird. And But once again, he has no lines. Now, think Belushi is a fantastic, was a fantastic physical comedian. So you can see him, uh, you know, getting, getting his character through with no dialogue. I want to thank Frank Zappa, this making the musical portions a bit surreal in all of them right here. Don Pardo is a guest in the first one. John Belushi has a samurai. He's in the guest in this one. And he goes in there with the samurai and he pulls out a samurai sword and he threatens the band and then he leaves and then they finish the song. I love it when, when you think you're going to get something straight and there's a little bit something weird, like you think you're just going to get a straight musical performance, but then you get John Belushi showing up as the samurai playing the saxophone. I mean, we have so little with John Belushi. He left us way too soon just to see him in anything. And seeing him in a classic character as a samurai, that's great as well. Now we go to their next sketch, and it's Garrett Morris. And he's singing O Tannenbaum. O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum. And while he's singing, there's snow falling, and there's these Christmas trees behind him. And the Christmas trees start getting closer and closer and closer. And when they get... Now, you can see this sketch has technical gadgets which need to be... And whenever you're doing a live show with technical gadgets, there's always a chance that they're not going to work well. And that's what happens in this sketch. Uh, But we'll get to that in a second. So you see these Christmas trees coming up behind Garrett Morris. And Garrett Morris pulls something in his pocket and this... Christmas tree limb comes bursting through his chest and you hear Don Pardo going, the killer trees. And that gets a big laugh. The killer Christmas trees. And I think that would have been fine right there. That would have been the killer trees. You know, you can't trust, you can't trust any of them. You know, they hate you a lot. Or, you know, the killer trees with a tagline. It got a big laugh. Stop right there. But this is a longer sketch and said it before, say it again, longer sketches do not tend to work well on Saturday Night Live. They tend to run out of steam, or there's just huge chunks that are not funny. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's usually not done. And this is a long sketch called The Killer Trees. Garrett Morris has nothing to do. He sings O Tannenbaum, he gets stabbed. Garrett Morris has nothing to do in this episode, and Lorraine Newman has even less to do in this episode. We cut to Belushi and Ackroyd, and they're playing a couple of cops who are on the trail of these killer trees. They get a call. They go to investigate. Then we cut to Candace Bergen and Gilda Radner, and uh, Candace Bergen plays this rich socialite, and Gilda Radner plays her cleaning woman, and she leaves for the day, and we see... And this is where... And this is where when you get too technical on a sketch, it can, it can screw up. It can blow up in your face. Gilda Radner's alone in the office and she starts singing O Tannenbaum and this Christmas tree in the office starts falling around the office and you can clearly see the guy behind there moving the tree. It's, it's totally obvious. 
And then Gilda Radner is supposed to get stabbed with a limb, but she can't find her lever. And it's just really awkward. And it's and when she finally finds it, it's just it's just really awkward the way she does it. And the tree limb shoots through. Any joke that might have been at the end of that sketch is ruined from the lack of timing. All this technical difficulty has ruined the sketch. But they can't stop. They've got to continue. We cut to... Uh, Candace Bergen, she's gone to the police. She's talking about you know, what happened, and there's a sketch artist. And this is one of the few times that one of the other cast members is not in the scene. They have a sketch artist, uh, but Dan Aykroyd and um, John Belushi are playing cops in the scene, and Garrett Morris has already been played. I don't know why... Uh, Lorraine Newman is not in this sketch. Make Lorraine Newman the sketch artist. At least give her something to do in this sketch. But it's somebody else other than the other than the six characters. They sketch a Christmas tree. They send them out of the room. Then we go to the lineup. There's a lineup, and there's two Christmas trees, and there's Frank Zappa. This kind of redeems the the sketch. Uh, Frank Zappa. You know, they ask Candace Bergen. Do you know any of these guys? And she goes, they all look the same, and it's two Christmas trees and Frank Zappa. That's funny. So they tell them to move their limbs, and they tell them, and Frank Zappa, and Frank Zappa is very, <laughs> I can't really describe it. He has no lines, but he's very, uh, he's very, very natural in this scene. During the scene, once again, during the lineup, Frank Zappa gets stabbed through the heart with a limb. Once you do that joke once, every other time you do it, it's not going to be that funny. And if if the device screwing it up is the device is screwing it up, it's going to be overly not funny. The first time Garrett Morris gets stabbed through the chest with a branch, that's funny. It got a huge laugh. End the sketch right there. Make it a short sketch and then write something else. The sketch goes on. They ask Candace Bergen to go home and try to set up her tree. And they'll be right outside. So Candace Bergen goes home. She tries to set up her tree, and she gets stabbed. Once again, it's the same joke with the same mechanism not working properly. It almost falls off Candace Bergen. All these technical difficulties just ruined this sketch. And they're going to take the tree downtown, and Belushi and Aykroyd says, should we arrest this guy? And they pull this guy out from behind the tree, and Aykroyd goes, ah, it's just a stagehand. And I don't know if that was in the script or if they just did that because they clearly saw the stagehand earlier in the scene. I don't know. It was a long sketch, a lot of technical difficulty. The first 30 seconds, they got the biggest laugh of that sketch in the first 30 seconds. And when you get when you have a four or five minute sketch and the biggest laugh you get is in the first 30 seconds, you're hurting. You're hurting. Uh, so this is not out of the three Christmas sketches or commercials uh this is the weakest it's the longest it's the lamest then they have candace bergen she goes uh we have a film by gary weiss about diana nyad and diana nyad at the time was a cross-country swimmer and it's about a two-minute sketch it's a two-minute film it is a serious film about this woman tracking her training, tracking what she's doing. It's totally not funny. 
it's done well, but it's really out of place. I don't know. This is, I don't remember. I know Albert Brooks did films in the first season, but they were funny. This is a straight three, four minute documentary about this woman, uh, Diane Nyad. All I can say, it's well done, but it just stands out. It's weird. I, I don't think the audience was expecting that during the show. And I don't really have anything else to say about that. It was a well-done piece that just sort of stood out in this episode. Then we cut back to Candace Bergen, and she's talking about how the uh, Christmas time is coming and how, you know, the actor, you know, Danny's going to go back up to Canada and um, Gilda's going to go to Detroit. Then she says a really cringy line. I guess Garrett's going to go back to Africa. Ugh. You just hear that nowadays, and it's just like, oh, please. Okay, but 1976, and Candace goes, everybody has a place to go except for Belushi, and she comes up, and there's John Belushi, and she's like, adopt a Belushi. Adopt a Belushi this Christmas season, and she tells you how you can adopt a Belushi, and then John talks directly into the camera about the benefits of uh of adopting him. And he says, uh, you can call me Belouche, like my good friend Chevy Chase does. And that is another an insight. Chevy Chase and John Belushi did not like each other. In fact, John Belushi actually hated Chevy Chase because Chevy Chase became a big star after the first season and he got movie roles and everybody was talking about him. And that just burned Belushi's ass. He just hated it. Now, in later interviews after Belushi died, Chevy Chase tried to play down the fact that they were, you know, they didn't like each other. But that was the truth at the time. Belushi just didn't like Chevy Chase. And that was obviously a shot at Chevy Chase. And Belushi talks about, hey, if you, if you uh, adopt me, please have a 14 or 15-year-old girl. It's, this is, it was inappropriate at the time. It's really inappropriate now where Candace Bergen is telling, basically telling Garrett Morris to go back to Africa. And John Belushi is talking about how I really would like a 15 or 14-year-old girl to stay with me while I'm staying with you. Time capsule. Time capsule of that time where that humor was acceptable and at how cringeworthy it is hearing it now. And we go to another sketch, which is, once again, did not time was not kind to, didn't hold up. Candace Bergen talks about this guy, Gary Gilmore, where he killed a security guard and he shot a student in the head in Utah. And he was sentenced to death. And uh, Gary Gilmore said he wanted to die by firing squad. I've never heard of this guy before. I'm guessing it was a big thing in 1976 where this guy wanted to have a firing squad execute him. And the whole cast sings a Christmas carol saying how they want to kill Gary Gilmore for Christmas. You can tell that the audience is not on board with this song and with this sketch. The cast give it it all. They all sing very well. But it's very, very awkward. You can tell that not a lot of people in the audience are on board with this. And it's kind of hard to watch. I mean, I'm sure everybody wanted this this guy to be executed. But this thinking about the family and friends who were killed and shot by him, it just doesn't, the whole sketch doesn't feel right. It just, it's just off. 
it's just off from from start to finish. When Candace Bergen starts reading about his atrocities, there's this nervous laughter in the audience, and when they start singing the song, there's even there's no laughter at all. The sketch should have been cut. I know what they were trying to do. Didn't work. Give them points for trying to do something, but man, it is hard to watch. And while we're talking about Candace Bergen, uh, let's go off on one of these. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. We are talking uh, about Candace Bergen. This was her third time hosting Saturday Night Live. She hosted it twice in the first season. This was her third time hosting it. And after she hosted it this time, she didn't host again until the 90s because she just felt that the drug use on the set was just inhibiting the acting, was inhibiting the writing, and she just didn't want to be around that anymore. So that's why this was her last Saturday Night Live for quite some time, over 15 years. And we're back. And we have another Frank Zappa song. And before we get into that, here's another one. Back to back. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. So this was Frank Zappa's first appearance on Saturday Night Live as a musical guest, and he was brought back in 1978 not only to be the musical guest, but to host. And that was his last time hosting Saturday Night Live. He never did it again. And the reason that he was quote-unquote banned from the show is Frank Zappa and his crew were very, very anti-drug. And at that point, Saturday Night Live, there was a lot of drugs going on during the Saturday Night Live. And they clashed. And so when Frank Zappa was doing the show, he sort of half-assed it because he didn't really like what was going on with all the drugs and that. And whatever you whatever you do, don't half-ass yourself in front of Lauren Michaels or you are going to get cut from the show and banned from the show. And that's exactly what happened to Frank Zappa. After that, no more Frank Zappa. And we're back. And Frank Zappa does his third song, Peaches on Regalia. Once again, no lyrics in this song. It's just, it's just, this is the closest to a normal, I don't want to say normal, I guess a normal musical performance. It's Frank Zappa and the Saturday Night Live band and his band just all jamming to this song. You get the horns, you get the guitar, you get the drums, you get the xylophone. Closest to what a normal, um, musical appearance would be and uh no lyrics he did a couple of instrumentals on this show and i applaud him for that it was something different and i believe all three of the musical interludes worked really really well i enjoyed them all it was a high point stuck out in this episode then we cut to they're outside and we cut to candace bergen and she's on the ice rink in front of Rockefeller Center, and the whole cast is skating behind her. And this was obviously not scripted, because Candace Bergen is struggling to end the show. She doesn't know what to say. She's trying to thank everybody, but you can see that she looks a little flustered. So she like grabs Belushi, who's skating behind her, and just says, you know, 
and we're ending the show. And then we cut to the whole, not only the, the I think it's the cast and crew, everybody is down there skating in Rockefeller Center as, uh, as the credits roll. And during the credits, we hear Don Pardo announcing that this is the last show of 1976, and we'll be back on January 11th. However, you can still catch us. We're going to repeat, and they repeat, they say they're going to repeat the Madeline Kahn episode, the Elliot Gould episode, and the Richard Pryor episode. Uh, So those three are going to be repeated before we get a new episode on January 11th, 1977. And while Don Pardo is just giving these closing announcements, call back, call back, call back. I am the slime. I am the slime. So we get a call back to the song that he did with Frank Zappa at the beginning of the show. And that's it. Show ends. Last show in 1976. Christmas episode. The high points of this episode are the two Dan Aykroyd sketches this is an up-and-down episode. Of course, the stuff that was timely then, that's not timely now, doesn't work. And then we have that huge, long, killer Christmas tree sketch where nothing happens and the, the, the props just fail them. Frank Zappa was a high point, seeing Frank Zappa in this episode. Dan Aykroyd, uh, he's in two of the classic sketches. And he also, uh, he also nails Jimmy Carter. And he, uh, the nuclear fallout. So Dan Aykroyd is a real, real standout in this episode. He's in just about every sketch, and he nails it. Even the, I mean, you can see him that he's trying to hold it together in the killer tree sketch, and he doesn't break character, even though everything is breaking around him. If you want to see some classic Christmas sketches, watch this episode. If you want to see some classic Frank Zappa, watch this episode, and then you can just fast forward through the sketches that you don't like. And that's my, that's it. Christmas episode, over, done. And speaking of Christmas, if you want to support, if you want to give me a Christmas gift, you can support me on my Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Scott White. You can also check out for my dates, upcoming 2020 dates on my website, scottyblanco.com. And that has all the activities that I'm working on right now. So you can visit all my sites, find out what's going on and support me in any way that you feel possible. You can support me here on Anchor, or like I said before, you can support me on Patreon. Or, hey, if you just want to send me $5 through PayPal, I'll take it. It just helps me being able to keep uh, keep going and keep producing the material that I not only enjoy doing, but I hope you enjoy listening to. And that's it. Last episode of 2019. I usually do two episodes a month, but this has been a busy month with work and all that, so I was just able to get this one done. So I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you in 2020. Everybody have a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Out.